one of the things that I, lo- I, I did at uni and, and one of the things that I studied was the, the history of the church in the medieval time and, and, and also previous to that, the early church. So uh, when, when after Jesus died and was resurrected, uh, you know, the, the history of the early church started at that point. And, and if you read scripture and, and you study the early church like I have been over the last couple of months, it never ceases to amaze me how much was achieved in such a short space of time. Uh, you know, from Acts to Revelation, it's a period there of about probably between 50 and 70 years, yet we've gone from a few hundred uh, Jewish men and women to multiple thousands of people where the gospel had been preached all over the Roman world at that point. And, uh, you know, there was mega churches planted Mega churches, even by today's standard, planted in various cities all over the world. But um, you know, one thing that the early church kind of gets in its favor is that everybody kind of looks at the early church like, "Hey, that's awesome!" Um, you know, they were the ones that that didn't have any struggles, no problems. But the more that you read scripture, the more that it becomes apparent that the early church had its flaws, it had its problems, as much as even the church today has its flaws and has its problems. And, and by the time that John gets the revelation, where we get the book, Revelation, uh, you know, that there has been about 50, or se- 50 to 70 years that the early church has been. And then what happens is there's, he, he, he gets this revelation from Jesus and he, he writes the book of Revelation, which we now understand as the last uh, book of the New Testament and the last book of the Bible. And, and, and what had happened now is there was seven key churches that were addressed, seven key churches in the Asiatic region that uh, were specifically mentioned and specifically addressed in the revelation that John received. And, and, and in these seven churches, God deals with seven crucial issues that face and plague these early churches. These early churches were quite significant in size. They were in key strategic positions in the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that comes out of this is that in a period of, let's say, maximum 70 years, things can start to unravel. And we need to be careful that we don't just lull ourselves into a false sense of security knowing that it's all together, we've got it all set, it's, you know, we've been here for, it might be 12 months, 50 years, but but we can't actually allow ourselves to get into a position where we're just happy with where we are. Because in two generations, 70 years, you know, maybe even one generation, all of these churches had gone from golden light-filled churches to a church to churches now where they weren't necessarily doing evil but they weren't necessarily fulfilling at a hundred percent capacity because if it happened to the early church people that had literally witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ people that were there that had spoken to him then how much more can that happen to us and uh, you know our, our primary scripture for tonight is um, found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And I think it's on the screen. It says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear that the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. The title of my sermon tonight is, Where is Your Love? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we just ask that you would just give us spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see. Lord, we pray that your spirit would just deposit something into our hearts that we can't contradict, that we can't explain, but Lord, we can feel it and experience it. And I pray that tonight that we would leave changed, we would leave challenged to live for you and through you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesus, it was a golden church. It was the golden boy of all the churches. Uh, it was the church that everybody else wanted to be. Uh, it was the church that had all the girls, figuratively speaking. Um, it, it had the best preachers. It had all of the guest ministry. Uh, it was planted as part of Paul's missionary journeys. It was watered by a, a man called Apollos who was like uh, one of the king gurus at the time. He was an incredible speaker. And it was pastored by a guy called Timothy. All of these guys were bigwigs. It was a huge church, numbering in the multiple thousands. Uh, it was a very, very wealthy church. The city of Ephesus was a very, very wealthy port. It was the fourth biggest city in the Roman Empire at that point. And uh, now it's unclear whether Timothy was still there at the time of this writing, but it is unlikely, scholars would tell us. But Suffice to say, the church's influence, its ability, its great preaching, but yet not two generations from its inception, Jesus writes to this church and uses the words, you have fallen from what you originally were. And uh, you know, see, the, the constant challenge and one of the questions that I like to ask myself when I'm feeling good about myself to challenge me is... Am I more in love with Jesus than when, I, than when I started? Or am I more in love with people and do I love people more than when I started? Because, you know, you can, and I'll give you a little bit of an insight, but, but when you're in ministry, you're dealing with people every day, the tendency is that your threshold or your uh, ability to deal with people diminishes over time. And, uh, and when you're constantly around and, and dealing with people's stuff, it's way easier to kind of put people at arm's length than it is actually to use your arms to embrace them. And, uh, and so one, one of the challenges that I set myself is that I want to make sure that I am more in touch and more in relationship with Jesus than when I first started as a pastor, than when, sorry, I want to be more in relationship and in touch with Jesus now than when I started. And then in 10 years' time, I want to be more in love and more in relationship with Jesus than 10 years ago. 
And by the same token, I always want to make sure that uh, I'm in relationship with people more than I was 10 years ago or more than I was when I started. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest. Sometimes when I ask myself the question, the answer is a sure no uh, with exclamation points on it. It even says exclamation points on my notes. (laughs) But, um, you know, this church can be like us so many times. And, uh, you know, as a side note here, I I just want to throw this out there. See, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. So a lot of the letters that are written in the New Testament are written to the believers, but Jesus actually addresses the church. And, and I think that it's so, it's still, in, church is still important. Uh, Jesus still speaks to the church because the church is still the body and, and the movement and the vehicle in which God wants to move. And, uh, and so Jesus doesn't address the believers at Ephesus. He addresses the Ephesian church. It's a specific group of people that are mandated, that are called with a specific purpose. And we are a group of people that are called and mandated with a specific purpose. That's why when we talk about getting connected in, it's so important because you want to make sure that you're part of what this church is a part of. We, we, we spent last week looking at uh, all that we're partnered with in terms of missions. And we can partner with missions because we are a collective group of believers. There's a collective power there. There's a collective influence there. And so let's never, ever get complacent, complacent with church. Let's always remember that, you know, because yes, you can be a Christian by yourself, but I don't think you can be effective by yourself. And, uh, you know, I hope I'm not offensive here, but, you know, there's so many times that we can kind of get in our, our groups and, and that becomes our church. Well, I'm hanging out with Christian people, that becomes our church. No, it's not. You need to be locked in, connected, seeing where we're moving forward, seeing what we're influencing, because together we can actually achieve so much more than just a little bunch of people discussing what Scripture is. And it can become so bitter and infused with you know, our own personal preference. That's why we actually need to be conscious to lock ourselves into a church. And uh, so we have this church when it was planted. God you know, God initiated this planting. Paul went out and planted this church in this influential city, and it was going gangbusters. If you read the book of Ephesians, uh, you know, it's, it's full of praise. It's full of acknowledgement of the works that they do. And certainly, for the first couple of lines, it seems like it's still going well. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a church doing the right thing. And, uh, and so they, th- there's all the makings of this great church, but it's just a shell. And, and so we've got this church that when it was planted, it was established, it was called, it was ready to move, it was incredible. And then now it's taken a step over here. And, and, but the Bible says that the Ephesian church hated the Nicolaitans. So if, we, if we're here where, where it's planted, it's established, it's good. But, but over here, we've got evil, which the Bible calls the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans were a sect at that time. They were loosely connected to Christians. To call them Christian would probably be a bit of an over-exaggeration, but they were loosely connected. Um, you know, the, the Nicolaitans were into all kinds of stuff 
and, and you know they were they were into all kinds of liberty movements. You know where I, I can do this, I can partake in this, I can be a part of sexual immorality, I can be a part of idolatry. But it's all right because I'm covered by the grace of salvation. And so it was kind of like because so Jesus has covered it all, so I'm just going to partake in it all. But the Bible actually refers to them as evil. And so if we've got the church when it's established, it's right about probably here by now, but you've got the Nicolaitans here. So what the Bible kind of terms evil. So if that's good, if that's evil, the church is here. And it's kind of just stuck in between the, the still doing some good works. It's stuck here between where it, when it first was, but it's not over here. It's not completely written off. But in between connection and condemnation actually is castration. There's no power. There's no ability to move forward. There's no ability to, to reproduce. And so it's actually in this kind of where it's doing the works, it's getting it done, but there's actually no love. There's no power here. There's no moving forward. It's just a church castrated. It can't, don't look up what castrated means. Um, just, it's not a good thing. Um, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're stuck in the middle of ineffectiveness. Uh, you know, they're, they're still doing the stuff. They're still patient. They're still enduring. They're not growing weary, but they're powerless. They're, they're dealing in the realm of ineffectiveness. So I, wanna, I just want to have a look, just for the next 10 or 15 minutes, have a look at a few things that move us into this place of ineffectiveness. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for a couple of years, maybe a couple of minutes, maybe a couple of months, but, but you just feel like, I, I, I'm not where my first love used to be. I don't have that zeal. I don't have that passion. I don't have that excitement. But, but, I, but I'm by no means off, you know, off the Richter scale, doing my own thing. I, I, I'm here in the realm of ineffectiveness. And, and so I just want to have a look at uh, three, maybe four things that uh, we have a look and because uh, Jesus does give them this promise. He says, Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, Jesus hadn't taken away the lampstand. He said, It's still there. You've still got an opportunity to come back, to, to, to reestablish, to reconnect, uh, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll relight the mantle. I'll continue the power there. But he says, If you don't go back, to the first works, to the thing that you did first. Now, firsts are important. I could take you to the place where Amy and I had my first kiss. It was on the altar when we were married because we all know that you're not supposed to kiss before you got married. That's actually a joke. (laughs) But firsts are important. There's joy, there's anticipation, there's excitement, not just with first kisses, but, um, but you know, first, but as you know, you kind of do the journey and do the relationship with people, you don't necessarily have that first kind of joy, anticipation. Now, Amy and I probably may have seven to ten kisses since then, um, but it, it doesn't hold the same weight, the same oomph as it first did, but the flame is still there. It's just diminished a little bit. And that's, this is exactly what had happened to the church at Ephesus. And, uh, you know, I, 
one of the thing one of the things I love to do, I'm a bit of a firebug. And so whenever me and my brothers would go out or we'd go the few boys would somehow always manage to light a fire. And we were at a campsite on this one particular occasion and um we'd lit this fire, uh it was you know, burning really well and we just kinda let it go out and then went back to our, our tent and, and went to sleep. And uh, in the morning, like, kind of went out, and the fire was just, it was all white because it had gone out of natural causes. And um, and so we'd, so I decided that I'd just walk over the fire because I was, I was stupid. Um, but, so I'm in my thongs, and, um, and so I decided that I'd, I'd walk over the fire and, um, because I'd read it in the Bible somewhere that I wouldn't get burnt. Um, <laughs> no. But I, I legit thought it was out. But anyway, so I, I walk and I take about two steps, and then, like, the thongs melted to my feet. And, um, you know, it was, I kind of moved very quickly and swiftly and effectively. And, uh, and so it kind of took it away. But th- that was, this is the picture of the church. There's, there's the embers there of the fire that used to be, and, and to touch it, it's hot, but it doesn't draw people because it's, you, you can't necessarily see that there's heat coming off it. Like a fire in all of its glory and you know, the redness, it draws people. It's attractive, but embers burn unsuspecting people. And so the challenge is that we need to make sure that we're a, a burning fire and not just lukewarm embers. And a uh, couple of things that I think take away that fire or, or take away that first love, you know, when we're talking about firsts, uh, I, in terms of church, I think familiarity is one of the biggest things that will move you into the realm of castration. It will move you into the realm of ineffectivity because, I don't even know if that's a word, don't look it up, um, ineffectiveness, thank you, all my thesaurus on the front row, <laughs> But familiarity actually is one of the biggest things that will hinder your ability to be powerful, your ability to move forward. Even Jesus couldn't do certain things because of the familiarity that people had. And the question that I want to leave you with and challenge you with is, when is the last time you took away something that challenged you, that you actually put into place, that came from this pulpit? Not necessarily me and... You know, not necessarily a guest speaker, but are, are we too familiar with the people that get up here and share that we're actually not growing and we're actually not taking that on and applying that to our lives? And I remember when I first, uh, you know, kind of went into leadership, uh, not just in youth ministry, I was just a tribe leader at the time, but there was just a hunger and uh, we, we didn't have iPads back then. I feel good that I can say that. Um, we didn't have iPads back then. We didn't even have camera phones back then. Um, and so, like, literally, you just had a notepad. And I just remember I would write notes, and, uh, and I'd write constant notes. And when was the last time you took notes on your iPad, on your iPhone? It doesn't really matter. But when was the last time that you took notes to something that actually came from somebody that you get to do life with constantly. But, you know, when was the last time that something that was said from here challenged you to the point of change? 
Because if, if, if we get so familiar with each other, nobody changes. And that's why it's so important to be part of a church, because there's enough people here that, you know, we're, we're not going to be familiar with everybody, but it's a challenge for everybody. Um, one, one thing that can also kind of move us into the, the realm of ineffectiveness is wealth and prosperity. Uh, there's a pastor in Korea um, by the name of David or Paul Yongi Cho, depending on what time it was, but uh, he planted a massive church, huge church, and it was one of the biggest churches in the world at one point in time. And, and he noted that, that one of the key things that changed was when Korea actually became, South Korea actually became wealthy, um, the, the church attendance started to diminish because what would happen is that people were so desperate, they were so craving uh, God's presence, they needed God's presence every day, but then, you know, they started to get wealthy jobs, they started to, their economy started to boom, and church attendance actually took a massive dive, because rather than coming to church, people would go out on their yacht, and, um, you know, possibly less of a spiritual experience, um, and, and, and so what actually happened is, same thing, a church with a, an incredible mandate, an incredible call of God on its life, but because of wealth and prosperity, and there's nothing wrong with wealth and prosperity, don't get me wrong, but because of the, the inability to be able to put that in its place and understand that that is something to be stewarded, it actually moved them into a powerless situation or, or, or limited the power of that particular church. I think hurt it's one of the biggest things that will move people into this realm of ineffectiveness, that will move people into the realm of castration, because hurt will so restrict and bind people up, and, and unresolved hurt will always, always render you powerless. And, uh, and not just towards others, but also towards God. People can have legitimate and you know legitimate hurts that god didn't necessarily answer prayer but if if you don't uh move outside of the prism of hurt you will be rendered ineffective in the long run and i don't know if this is ha- what happened in the case of ephesus but and then the last one is that i think that justification can move us into the realm of ineffectiveness whereby it's well at least i'm not as bad as so and so and we can list the people who we are better than or the people that, you know, well, did you see them? They were smoking cigarettes. And, uh, well, at least he wasn't smoking cigarettes. I might be doing this, but I'm not smoking cigarettes. And, and you know, that's a tongue-in-cheek thing. Um, but, you know, you never, like, the, the Ephesian church didn't say, well, did you see what Smyrna got? Like, did you see what Pergamum got? I mean, at least we're not as bad as them. And, and so what, what justification does is it doesn't change anything. It actually just changes your perspective so that you feel less bad about yourself. And, and so justification, well, you know, I, I don't have to do that because, you know, I've, I've got to do this. So they, they don't understand what I have to go through. And, and, you know, you can go to the grave completely justified but completely ineffective as well. And, and so my challenge is... I'm going to have a look at a, and I think the key, really, is when we're talking about firsts, because the book of Ephe- the, the church at Ephesus, there's a lot of biblically recorded history and biblically recorded letters to and from that church, and so what I want to have a look is one of the first letters that Paul sent to Timothy 
when he was the pastor of that particular church at Ephesus. And, and, and remember the story about how you know, I decided that I'd be a firewalker. And um, it was, I, I think I, oh no, I don't, but I used to have the, the thongs and there was like a giant hole in them um, when all the coals came through. But um, because decades earlier, Paul writes to Timothy and, and, and he says this in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read the Amplified Version because it bears out what I want to highlight uh, just as we close. But it says this, Paul, an apostle, a special messenger, personally chosen representative of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I worship and serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. And as I recall your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I remember your sincere and unqualified faith. Uh, the surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom and goodness, a faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am confident that it is in you as well. That is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, the special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. See, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, and he says, fan the flame that was there when I laid hands on you in the first point. And, and, and tonight... And, and, and the thing about a fire is when you light a fire and, the, and the, the fire to the embers, the original flame is still in the embers. It's the same fire. And, and I believe that, that God doesn't want us to go back to the same, uh, you know, just to, to go back to the start and do it all again. He actually wants us to go back using the same fire and actually use that with a spirit of maturity that comes upon us. And, and, and rather, than, rather than go back to the original fire, he wants us to build on those embers. He wants us to build on those, that, that original flame. And uh, see, it's time to reimmerse ourselves back into God. It's time to, to, to breathe on that flame. It's, it's time to allow the, the breath of God to breathe onto that flame, to reignite it. And then you put the, the logs and, and, and the, the paper around it so that you get that flame coming in because God doesn't need a castrated church. God doesn't want a castrated church. He wants an effective, he wants a called, he wants a passionate, he wants an effective church because he needs us for the city of Ipswich. He needs us for the uttermost parts of the world as we saw last week with our missionaries. He needs us to not have embers that will burn people when they walk over them, but there needs to be a fire there that draws people in. And, and we need to get back to, to the, the time when our passion and our zeal was just at an all-time high, when, when, it, when it was ready to go, when it was ready to boil over, but, but not 
not have the same immaturity. Like if, if you've been a Christian for 15 years, it's time to rebuild the fire around the maturity that you have. It's time to stack up those logs around the fire that you already have. See, it's the same flame. And, and, and you know, when, when you, I've been married for eight and a half years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same flame. It's just different. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, if I was as excited like a little schoolgirl as I was the first time I got to kiss Amy, as I was now, she'd call me an idiot and she'd be right because that would be pretty silly to, to do. I'd be like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to kiss you for the first time. It would just be weird. And so God's not calling us to go back to blind whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. But, but he's actually calling us to rebuild the fire around those embers. He's actually calling, calling us, as Paul did to Timothy, to fan the flame. And, and tonight we're going to do a couple of things. I'm glad that everybody came in the middle because it's going to get a little weird in a minute. But I just, I really feel that it's time that we need to draw near to each other and to immerse ourselves in Christ, and uh, see, it, it, it's 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 reestablishing, it's rebuilding, and, and so the, the 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 foundation flame was the foundation, and we build upon that. See, I I think that I, I love the movie Yes Man. Uh, it's a it's a um, what's his name Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey film. So and and like what he does is he kind of takes on this challenge. He has to say yes to everything. And so he just says yes to the most random and weird kind of stuff. And so he, but he, he gets himself into a whole lot of trouble because he just doesn't know when to stop and he just keeps saying yes to all this weird things and things start to go weird and start to go from bad to worse. And he meets with the guy that was doing the, the original seminar that said, you need to say yes, 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 yes. And he said, I've, I've been saying yes to everything and it was going really well at first, but, but now it's just getting weird and I'm finding myself in all kinds of predicaments. How do I, like, what do I do? And he goes, the purpose of, you know, being a yes man to start with was just so that you can get out of the gate, so that you can start that process. And, and, and when God touches your life and when he touches your heart, that, that initial burst of fire, that initial excitement, that initial drive is to get you out the gate. But then you've got to reestablish, you've got to rebuild the fire around it so that it, it burns strong and it burns long. And uh, it's time to come back to your first love. The love might not be the same, but it is calling you back to your first love. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get everybody to stand up and I'm going to ask the musicians to join with me. Um, but before I, I do anything, I just, maybe you're here tonight and just going to ask if everybody could just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes just so that people can do business with God because, you know, maybe you're here tonight and you've never actually, that, that, that initial flame that I talk about, it's never, it's never happened. Maybe tonight you've never ever said yes to Jesus. You've never ever said yes to the life that he lives and the call that he's calling you toward. Well, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here tonight and you've never taken the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, well, with nobody looking around, this is a moment of incredible intimacy and privacy with God. I just ask if, if that's you, if you've never taken that step, if you could just raise your right hand and make eye contact with me and then you can put it down. That's all good. 
because it's, it, it's the greatest decision of your life and it, does, it sets you up on an incredible journey. And it would be silly of me, it would be remiss of me if I didn't take this opportunity to allow you to enter into that relationship, to allow you to enter into that love that, that, that is so incomprehensible. It's so uncontainable. So if, if you're here tonight and, and that's you, just raise your hand and, and look at me. Fantastic. If not, what we're going to do now is um, hopefully you're within arm's length of one person, maybe two. What we're going to do, and you know, if, if you don't want to participate in this, you don't have to. You don't feel under any obligation. But Paul says to Timothy, fan the flame that happened when I laid hands on you. And so, you know, don't turn to the person and clock them. Um, it was actually like, it was gently laying hands on them. But what, what I just ask is, I think that there is a collective empowerment that happens when people pray for each other. And uh, so, and I think that it should be excitement when we join together and pray for each other. So what I'm going to ask is, just to the person to your left and to your right, if you could just link hands with them. You don't have to interdigitate. Don't make it weird. Um, and, and what I want to do is, I just want us to pray that the fire of God would be stirred up in them again. That, that there would be a, a building up of, of metaphorical uh, bricks around them that would catch fire and that would in, just engorge their life with incredible flame. And so why don't, you, why don't you just begin to do that? I'll pray generally, but just pray for the person to your right and to your left. If you don't know them, you can ask them their name. Lord God, I just pray that you would fill us afresh with your fire. Lord, I pray that the, 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 the light that was once strong would be just reborn and rebirthed. And I pray, Lord, that there would just be an incredible flame of passion, of zeal that would well up inside of us. Lord, I just pray for, the per- for everybody in this room. I pray that there would be excitement that would begin to take place. Lord God, I pray that there would be, Lord, uh, just enjoyment that would take place. I pray that there would be joy that would take place. Lord, I, I pray that where there is dryness... There would just be, Lord, a new flame. Lord, I pray that where people have been feeling ineffective, where they've been feeling powerless, I pray that you would breathe on that flame. Lord, I pray that you would bring it to pass. I pray that you would, Lord, bring a flame that would burn long and strong in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be a church that would be on fire for you. And Lord, that you... that, that, that the fire that is in us would be placed on that lampstand. Lord, that it would be... Lord, seen by people who are around about us. It would be seen by the city of Ipswich. Lord, it would be seen by the schools of Ipswich. It would be seen by the universities of Ipswich. Lord, I pray that you would just fill us again with your spirit. Lord, that unquenchable fire that cannot go out. Lord, I pray you would just revive us in Jesus' name. Let's begin to sing. Who you are, who you are, who you are. 